Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. I had to make my own living and my own opportunity, but I made it. Don't sit and wait for the opportunities to come. Get up and make them. That's a quote by Madam C.J. Walker. And she is recorded as the first female self-made millionaire in America. She made her fortune developing and marketing a line of cosmetics and hair care products specifically for Black women through this business. And there is a really great uh, series. I'm not sure if it's Netflix or another one about her life. And um, you might enjoy that. So I'm very excited to share Ron Nichols with you. He is the currently now the owner of ProSelect. And if you've been around a while in this business, you know, ProSelect is pretty much industry standard for doing great in-person sales. So I'm excited to talk to him about his recommendations for in-person sales and some other hot tips. Before I do that, I want to remind you to go to lucydumascoaching.com, Lucy with an I, and you can snag my book, 10 Big Ideas for Marketing in the Real World, and my PDF about attracting ideal clients. So they're similar, but different. Okay, so on with the show. I am just thrilled to have our next guest this for this Oh, Ron is the starting is always the hardest for me. Okay, here we go again. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have Ron Nichols of the ProSelect Studio Software fame. I have worshipped him from afar, met him at trade shows year after year, where he has shared so much information about how to be successful selling photography and running a business. So here's a little background before I welcome Ron. Mr. Nichols (laughs) has excelled in in in-person sales long before that term IPS was coined. He graduated from college with an art degree and has owned a studio where he perfected his sales both from the psychological and technological aspect. And I'm going to dig into both of those today. And he's worked with software companies to help develop applications that will optimize our sales efficiency and capitalize on that emotional aspect of of sales. And then also helping with back-end workflow. He's worked for many top image makers, developing their sales process and workflow and workflow schemes. He is now do to do the owner is it owner and CEO of Pro Studio Software Inc. Did I have that right, Ron? Yep. Um, his work and service in the photography industry have 
garnered him many awards around the world. He's taught throughout the globe. He's a PPA international juror, juror chairman, past PPA president, and member of the elite group, the Society of XXV. Is that 25? 25, yeah. <laughs> it's been a while since I, I learned my, uh, is it Greek? Greek, yeah. Greek numbers. Yeah. So thank you so much, Ron. I'm super excited to have you here. Thanks so much for all the kind words, Lucy. It's great to be here and, and share about something that I love talking about so much. So can you briefly, you have a degree in art. Um, so can you just give a little like cliff notes about how you got started in photography and decided that was your career goal and passion? Yeah, kind of my background in photography actually started really before I ever really realized that my dad was a was a marketing manager for at the time it was like the third largest engineering company in the, in the United States, and so he was always um, he was always uh, he was hiring photographers or he had uh, the, his department had a thirty five millimeter camera that he would come home. So my dad was kind of a photo buff. Well, then I started out um, going on uh, sometimes I'd go out on some some shoots with him. I remember one in particular where we had to where they were photographing a large power plant and how it, uh, um, and the idea was to be able to show how a power plant can interact um, in a good way with the environment. So the, the whole shot was set up with my dad and I were the models and I was probably about a dozen or dozen, probably 11 or 12 years old at the time. A dozen years old. Dozen years old. <laughs> that works. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so and I remember that the power plant had red and white stripes on the um, on the stacks that were going up there and so I remember on the way to the shoot we had to actually we stopped and I think it was probably Kmart to buy me a red sweatshirt so it would coordinate with those stacks and mm. I later realized that that really became my first clothing consultation for photography you know as I, I think back on that and so then over the the years um you know, I would, I would do more. And the photographer that was actually on the job, I ended up being in Boy Scouts with his son. And then eventually in 10th grade, my dad bought me a um, Minolta camera that I started uh, working with and started doing this uh, pictures of the school with the, uh, gave up sports or football and swimming, started uh, working mm -hmm. for the yearbook and newspaper started working mm. at a local camera store. Then I started working for the photographer uh, from there. And photography is really all that I've ever done. Even in college, mm. I was doing jobs and, and everything. So it's like, I go, I go way back. So, uh, so quite a long yeah, history. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was, Ron, I was editor of my yearbook as well. And be very interesting to find out how many yearbook uh, people went into a career in photography because uh, it's pretty common. I didn't photograph at the time. I, it, it scared me. It intimidated me. Um, but later um, I used a friend's camera and realized the potential and bought my first camera, which was also a Minolta, Minolta XG7. So XG7, I think that was newer than what I had. Uh, when, when did you start? When did you? Um, I got that camera probably in about 1975. 
yeah. So I bought mine. Well, it was about then 76, 77, somewhere around there. So yeah, it was interesting yeah. that Christmas because my dad bought, bought me this Minolta camera or my parents, not my dad, of course, but, um, and then my brother was a couple of years younger than me. They bought him a 30 out six rifle. And <laughs> so we were both kind of shooters, but in a total different way. <laughs> he was, but he was kind of into the hunting scene and, and I was not. Uh-huh. What's interesting about all the, the journalism aspects of it was is that, you know, when I was originally going to, when I was in college and I was studying art and photography, I was a part of it. I had always told my girlfriend at the time, you know, it's like, um, I'm never going to shoot portraits for a living. You know, I was going to be the photojournalist and I've got a, I've got mm-hmm. a minor in journalism. And so I was going down going down that path but I was pretty clear that portraits were not where I wanted to go but what I found is that ultimately that was my true love I really enjoyed mm. working with people and, and the business evolved you know from there uh, I love that story <laughs> I thought that um that journalism and fine art photography and models and such was real photography and that having spent a good part of my career doing portraits was sort of a lesser do you know what I'm talking about that feeling like we're um, I don't feel that now but that uh that the journalism was like the impressive fantastic thing right that's kind of capturing these these slices of life you know where yes yes and create it and make it happen but you know, as we all know, it's a, it's a total different perspective and in, in order to oh, yeah. evolve to and be able to pull this all together. And... Right. What I love, um, so I was talking to someone who started in photography as a portrait photographer, and then she did a few commercial jobs and ended up spending 20 years doing commercial photography and regretted, regretted it because she felt like she wasted her life on something that was just in landfills. And my work, your work, the work that you help people in this industry, in the portrait weddings, they're treasured heirlooms. So yeah, I love, I love that you found your passion in that way. Yeah, I did, um, I did have a fairly extensive stint in commercial photography for a while. Um, it started out that I mentioned that I was involved in the Boy Scouts. And so I started out... Um, working producing computer-controlled slideshows, these multi-image slideshows where you use multiple projectors. It would uh, three-channel cassette decks, and, you know, and it would, you would record everything, computer signals on the tapes, and then it would control all these shows. I mean, it was really the, the big thing back in the 80s. And um, mm-hmm. I, oh, yeah. I had connected to a person who was later a business partner of mine, and so we would produce these um, different shows for scouting events. And then um, we actually produced one for the uh, local Boy Scout Council. This was after I had gotten out of college uh, for the local Boy Scout Council for their pitch to the United Way to secure their funding for the next year. And it so happened that the um, chairman of the board or or CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan happened to be sitting on that committee. And he's like, wow, this is really amazing what you guys did. He said, would you be interested in producing some of these shows for Blue Cross and Blue Shield? So we started, wow. so we started producing, these were shows that they would take in and do a pitch to, uh, to um, the different unions, the auto plants around Michigan, different things to get people to sign up for the new HMO concept. This was when the HMOs were very new. 
So we started mm-hmm. producing that, and then all of this then evolved into more um, advertising photography. I connected with a local mm. um, ad agency, or several ad agencies, but I had one that was that was major work um, that I did a lot of uh, commercial uh, work with that company. And what actually ended up driving me to the portrait part of it was actually cash flow is really what it came down to. But so what mm-hmm. happened is that um, I was discovering that ad agencies were always kind of traditionally known as bad pay. You know, you had to right. get your money, you know, I'd be waiting 90 days all the time. And, you know, they'd call me up and say, hey, I need you to fly to New Jersey to photograph this commercial plant out there, you know, on Friday. I'm like, oh, you need to lay about 10 grand on my account and, you know, and then I'll talk about going out there, you know, and they would usually come through and do that. Well, in 1985, we moved to a commercial studio location uh, in Grand Ledge, the town where I'm at right now. Previously, we just operated out of my business partner's basement. And so we moved to this um, commercial location. They were actually the, the prop, the area, the space was already set up for multi-image um, production. The, that's what the company that was did the build out on the space. And unfortunately, the um, owner uh, got sick and died before the space was even finished out. So we went in and picked up the lease. And so what happened is now I had a real camera room to work in all the time. And, oh, and also then what happened is we had, there was a, a beautiful presentation room in that one. So what we would do is so I could have a bank of slide projectors um, up above in the, in the studio, um, a 12 foot high, uh, ceiling in the presentation room, we hooked up motorized curtains on there and that it would take that we could actually run a show. We could push a button, it would, you know, on the tape deck and it would automatically fire things to open the curtains, dim the lights. We put in all electronic lighting systems. Now, mind you, this was all in 1985 and uh, that would run it and then run a whole multi-image slideshow. Well, what happened is this is what actually kickstarted me into IPS. Because we began the whole process there is that that I was set up with a presentation room and I've always had the philosophy that the presentation room that if you're if you're going to go out and you're going to rent a commercial space for a studio the camera room is of least importance the most important is the room where you actually going to do the selling and making the money and I've always pretty much adopted that philosophy throughout my whole career. I guess what I guess what I'd like to share is that okay that we were taking that I was I was photographing weddings all the time when I was doing commercial stuff and so at the time you know I was a big follower of Monty Zucker you know and some of the other greats who were out there in the industry and I went out and I spent a few days with uh, Monty um, he was doing one of his seminars there was probably a dozen people or whatever and so you know you're out shooting doing everything that, that Monty would do and then of course he talk about sales and he was using slide projectors to do in-person sales for his weddings and making major money there using the Washington DC market. Well, anyway, he went through the whole class of everything that was in there. The class hall ended um, after it was all over. And some of the people were leaving. Some were kind of hanging around there. I walked back to his office where he was sitting there. And I said, Monty, I said, I said, I'm very intrigued with the sales process. And I said, I don't believe that you really told us the whole beans here on exactly the process that you take through when you're going through this process. So I kind of drilled down um, with Monty a little bit in terms of the process that was that was going through uh, that he did on, the, on these weddings. And so uh, what I did is I went back and I had a wedding on the following Saturday. Now we'd always been using proofs like everybody else up to that point. Mm-hmm. What I did is I called these clients up and I said, I am so excited. I said, I just got back from studying from one of, with one of the top wedding photographers in the world. 
And I said, one of the things that, that we talked about that I want to do for you, is rather than have you look at tiny little proofs to make your selections for your images, what I'm going to do is we're going to have a party here. You're going to come into the studio, bring your family in. I said, one night, it'll probably take three hours, and we'll go through all of your images, and you're going to pick out everything for your albums and your loose prints and everything, all that one night. And I said, the best part about this is, I said, I'm not even going to charge any more to do this. I'm going to keep all my <laughs> And they were like, wow, you do that for us? And, <laughs> and so what happened is at that point, I did the I did the one and I was nervous as could be, you know, going into what was really my first IPS session there. But that mm -hmm. night, in the matter of that three hours, I sold $5,500 worth of photographs. Okay, so keep in mind, $5,500 in 1985, 1986, most people would be happy to get that on a wedding now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and the highest wedding I'd ever done up to that point was thirty three hundred. So from there, I absolutely never looked back. That this yeah. was now how my business was going to operate and how it was going to make me successful as a photographer. Yes. So that was so. You were getting trance previews, the the slide proofs. Right, exactly. At exactly. At that particular time, we were ordering the slide proofs. Yep, yep. They would do the. Um, yeah, the C41 yeah. processed uh, right. film. So, so um, since we jumped into uh, the sales and how you, because I'm I'm like you. Well, if I have a regret in my career, it's that I did projection sales for portraits and even the engagement sessions, but I still did paper proofs for weddings and. Now on the occasion that I do a wedding, I I do you know slideshow sales, digital projector sales, and um, I'm just you know kick myself for not doing what I already knew how to do. I just yeah I didn't have anybody mentor me on on the wedding, so I I, I didn't ever take a two day three day class with Monty, so. Um, yeah, anyhow. Yeah, what's what's uh, crazy with people when they look back on what they could have done is when you take and you figure the amount of money that you've left on the table. Oh my god. Whether gosh. it be three months, a year, or 10 years, those numbers, those numbers are actually huge. And yeah. So yeah. it's that's why we always want to take and move forward with this. And you need to just jump, do it, and get moving with it. Right, right. Consistently, um, I've seen people over the course of my career finally break down and get a projector and their sales, their first sale pays for the whole thing. Oh, absolutely. Or, or two or three back when a good digital projector, a decent digital projector was still 3,500 or something. It still paid for itself really quickly. So I know that you both are, are, um, a genius or your your zone of genius is both the psychological aspect of sales and the the technical side so could we talk about the psychological aspect first i'd love to get your take on on selling well ultimately what it comes down to is the biggest failure that i see out there with photographers is that they they don't give their clients the opportunity to buy 
And by what I mean by that is that they're, they're not actually, they don't have the confidence level to go out and actually make the suggestions to be able to take and, and drive them, you know, to be able to take it. So it's now pretty easy because with tools like ProSelect, for example, that you can build up a wall grouping in their room and show them, okay, the client can get the idea. Okay, back when we were using slides, you know, we could project it, we could project a 16 by 20 or 30 by 40 by moving our slide projector in and out, but we couldn't, but we couldn't put that image into a room. Now we have lots more capabilities. So people need to be able to take and give the customers the opportunity to buy. So that's, that's the big key and have the confidence to do it. Then the other factor that comes in is I always believe that people need to have a systematic sales approach. And this is something mm-hmm. that, I have, okay. that I have always so, taught. Ron, I want to stay with psychological for okay. a minute. Um, so what I'm hearing is your take on the psychology is about the photographer having the confidence and that it's easier now because, because even just doing a system and showing room views or some other way for people to visualize having a projector, showing it big, that the photographer can feel more confident in doing the sales. Is that what you're saying? Well, exactly. They have that. Those, those become the tools. Okay. So, so we have to, you know, psychologically, we have to have the, the confidence to be able to do that. The opportunity to be able to show the client, the confidence to be able to ask for the sale and to be able to say the numbers it's going to be. But then we also have to take and cater our presentation psychologically in a way, much way to think of how they create a movie. Okay. If you go to the theater and you watch, watch a movie, what happens is everything is done in, within a movie to be able to take and control your emotions. And so in a movie that you're going to take and that you'll have, uh, you know, the the background music plays a significant role. There's different things that they will take in a movie to be able to take to so that you're going to have touchy feely type moments and you're going to have excitable Mm -hmm. moments and you might have calm, cool things and you will have things that will take and bring you bring you back. And in the same way, you need to be able to take and cater a presentation to be able to kind of almost mimic that same type of thing. And so Mm -hmm. what happens is that as I'm working with a client, we need to be able to take and we need to put the client into an emotional state, Mm -hmm. move them to an analytical state to be able to actually make decisions. But then we have to move them back to an emotional state to be able to close the sale. Because quite often that when we're dealing with high numbers and IPS, that on a logical sale, it's probably not going to happen. But when we put them into an emotional state, that's where we can actually control. uh, I don't know if control is the right word, but to be able to get them to purchase based on what they're feeling as opposed to what they think they need or want. Mm. How do you move them back? Um, cause I know the slideshow, as you just shared, it sets that emotional, uh, grounding mm-hmm. and, and then there's the, you know, let's edit down to our favorites, I assume is the logical. And then how do you get them back to the emotional purchase at, at the end? Or do you want to go more into detail? Sure. Sure, absolutely. So on the on the whole process. Yeah, what it is is that, is that again the typical process is first of all I have an overall um, concept of um, 
I'll tell you my selling order, the process that we would go through is that they, the first thing that we're always going to start out with doing a slideshow first, then we're going to move into being able to take and make selections on the images to be able to remove any, any images that they don't like. Then we focus on wall portrait sales and we stay focused on wall portrait sales uh, until one of two things happen. Either they purchase a wall portrait or multiple portraits, or you get a flat out no. Then from there, the next thing that we're going to sell is we're going to sell essential photographs. Now, what I consider essential photographs are going to be gift type prints, photographs for parents, grandparents, different things, uh, different images like that. A lot of people tend to forget those anymore. And they're, mm. they're such a profit center that, you know, that for years I was selling eight by tens for $150 a piece. And so there's a whole lot of profit in there. And when you can start adding two, three, four, eight by tens at a hundred or $150 a pop, that increases your order. Then the last thing that we would go into is selling what I call frou-frou products. And frou-frou products are going to be multi-image composites, albums, books, other things. But I want to come back to that one in a minute, Lucy. Okay, so we'll, we'll come okay. back to that. So now, back to your original question, because the sequencing is so important. So what happens is that we'd always start out the um, slideshow with the, or the, presentation with a slideshow. So we're setting the nice tone. The images are up on the big screen. They believe are digital projectors over TVs. So they're going to view all the images. So we've got them in an emotional state at that particular point. One of the things important is I always tell them that too, that we don't want to take and worry about making any selections when they look at the slideshow. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Then from there, we're going to go through and we're going to do our yes no and maybes and clients are under the perception that they're going to be going through these images multiple times that they would take that i it's my belief that you really have to go through the images once and you can make mm. all of your decisions that way i could go through weddings and take and the clients would think that they're going to go through and do all these iterations of cuts and cuts and cuts no dice one time through and we can do it you handle the sale correctly you can do it so what happens is they're going to go through and they're going to edit down we're going to edit down to um their images that they, that they love then the only other thing that we're going to take out of there at that point is we're going to take out our duplicate images so if i've got two head and shoulder portraits maybe the eyes are a little different or just a little bit different slightly different you know on a direction of the head or something i'm going to take those out so i essentially have no duplication in there then at that point what i'm going to do is in pro select i can just hit the quick slideshow button and so what that does is now i'm going to take and i'm just going to have just those images that we've elevated to that yes group at this particular point. And I'm just going to kick it into a slideshow again. So what happens now is that I can take that using the ambient music mode in ProSelect, my background music just fades out. My slide, my images um, go into the, the scene. It doesn't, it, when a quick slideshow, it's not going to have any titles, but then it just shows the images. So it'll go through there and that reverts it back into to help get them out of that analytical state back into an emotional state. Then after mm -hmm. they've looked at that images, maybe it's going to be 10, 12, maybe it'll be 30, depending on whatever the job, you know, maybe it's 40 images. Um, whatever it is, we're going to do that. Then the question I ask is which of these images you envision being displayed in your home as a wall portrait? And at this point, I don't want to sit there and I don't want them kind of going through the images. I want things that, that certain things will rise to the top in your mind. And that's how they're mm -hmm. going to 
Um, that's how I want them to take and do it. And then based on that is how I'm going to evolve from there in terms of building up the rooms and, and doing different things that way with the client. But by okay. being able to take and toggle between selection processes and building processes, bringing it back in with music, we can do a whole lot of that controlling the emotion. So can I, I, so my process is very similar and I love hearing that, that we're on the same page. I discovered a little trick. Um, can I share that with you? Your show? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. So I was really happy when you added uh, the ability to make sets mm -hmm. in the ProSelect program, because what I do after we've narrowed exactly what you just said, Yes, no, maybes, and then just the the ones that are super similar. Then I place them in high potential, wall, small, or album potential. And I do a slideshow of just the wall group, and I run through it twice. And I say, we've been doing a lot of thinking. Now we want to go back to emotion. So you and I are on the same page with that. And I want you to notice which ones give you a really special feeling or which ones touch your heart and you'll feel that the first time and the second time. And if you purchase that as art for your home, that's what you're going to feel for the rest of your life every day. And that Ron is why I hold the record at mid South for the most number of wall portraits <laughs> per client, <laughs> three to eight is my, is the range, you know, more like six or seven um, because I'm planting that, that really strong seed that they, they're going to get to feel this feeling over and over and over again. Um, so yeah, anyway, just a little, a little tip to pass on to people is I like to separate them out um, into those sets and also them seeing the word wall and small or gift and album is also planting a seed that they're going to be purchasing all of that. So uh, yeah. And I might've even highly possible. I got the idea of doing that second show from you watching you at a trade show <laughs> teach. Cause I was, I was like, when did I start doing that? And when did I sign I'm going to run through it twice. Um, so anywho, so continue. So yeah, just one thing I can just then, point out that um, last year I was a platform speaker at Imaging USA. It was virtual, but I did a very, very comprehensive um, produced program on the portrait sales presentation. And that is, um, that's available in the PPA EDU session. It's about, a, mm -hmm. it's about an hour long session where I take you through the whole processes of, of doing a sale. And then I bought what's also available on the um, Pro Studio software, the Pro Select website right. is accessible there too. Right. And that would be worth uh, joining PPA. You know, the cost of a year long membership would be more than worth it just to watch that program. So, you know, Ron and I are huge fans of the professional photographers of America. So if you have not joined and you're in America, I imagine you would highly recommend that. Am I right, Ron? Absolutely. They have lots of international members too. So oh, okay, good. In America. I am happy to hear that. Oh, I yeah. did not know that for sure. 
Okay, so let's see. Okay, so they're focused on the wall sales, and and then then what happens? So what we're going to do is we're going to go through and we're going to take and we're going to work on the the sale. And ideally, we want to take and we want to design for the space. And so I'm going to, when I explain to clients, we want to be able to. Uh, there's a couple different factors that involve the selection of a wall portrait. Um, first of all, is we need to be able to get something that's appropriate for the space. So we don't want to put a small image into large of an area. So mm -hmm. we need to be able to count uh, for that. Then what we have is that's what I refer to as visual space. Okay. Then the other factor we need to deal with is actually head size. And the way that the head size is, we want to be able to have it so that when you're sitting in your chair in your home, you can look up the wall and you can enjoy the expressions on your children's faces. You can see what's going on in the portrait. It shouldn't be a, a wall portrait. It shouldn't be have to something that you have to walk up to see. You want to be able to enjoy it. And my presentation room was always designed in such a way. I mean, my presentation room was I think 70, 17 and a half feet wide and 23 feet long. It was designed, you know, it's probably about the size of my living room uh, mm. here in my home. And that was very, very intentional, you know, with a fireplace and everything. So, so that you could do it. So we want to take and we're going to use those two factors. And so what we can do is we can use room view to be able to take and show it to be able to see how it works within the, the visual space. Then by just mm -hmm. simply clicking the little eyeball and pro select, um, we can go to select size view, or I'm sorry, we click the ruler icon and from room view, and it takes you directly to select size view, and you can see those images displayed actual size, again, assuming your screen is big enough. And this is where I, where I love a projector is because it gives me a much larger area to work with. So I can show a 30 by 40 and two mm. four 30s, you know, all actual size. And then I click that eyeball again and it goes right back in the room. So the client can get oh. a visual. So it becomes a, a toggling back and forth. Oh. And I explain that process to the client. So what happens is that we're going to take and we're going to take and we need to get a commitment at the point, at that point of what they're, what they're actually going to go with. And what I consider is a commitment when we actually take and we add that to the shopping cart. Then from there, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about possibly any other areas in the home. And so we're going to talk about if we have, if they submitted um, maybe through semi rooms, various other rooms in the house, we can take and we can have those to be able to work with and look at other alternatives. But all the time and through this whole selection process, I'm thinking and I'm giving guidance of, uh, of where we're going to go. And I mm -hmm. have all those things, a lot of them pre-planned in my head is how it's going to go. One of the things that I didn't mention early on is that whenever I start a presentation, once I do the, the initial uh, slideshow, is I look at the client and say, you know, as we go through these, we're going to go through and start making the selections. And do you mind if I give you my opinion too? Mm. And you just ask and then you shut up. Oh, I like and that. then what happens is, and believe me, I've never had a client tell me, no, they don't want my <laughs> opinion. And the thing is, is what that does is that allows me to be able to take and have more interaction that if I feel a client missed something, I can tell them they missed it. If there's something mm -hmm. that I don't want in there because maybe I missed something technically, I will pull it out of there. I can also take, and if I see something that where I get, I always want to position myself in the presentation room. So I'm not looking at the screen. I'm looking at the client. So I can have that constant eye contact. I don't need to see the screen. I've got a computer screen in front of me. So what happens is then I can take that if mom, you know, there's two images, the clients, I'm comparing duplicates. The client doesn't know what they look like. 
or, you know, the client's kind of unsure once the other, you know, they start looking to each other. I can read that if I'm watching that client. And mm-hmm. so I can jump in and say, you know what, I think this one's a yes. And I also think that one's a no. And it's, mm-hmm. it's important as you go through the process that everything is not a yes. You have to get the number of images down to a manageable um, count to be able to close the sale. And that is just a huge fail on the part of photographers is they go in there, they love everything. They don't guide it down to a manageable situation where they can actually close the sale. Yeah. Yeah. I've um, one of my coaching clients has been doing a great job of the sales process that's similar to yours. And she hired someone to, to photograph her family and she wasn't looking for a discount. She wanted the full experience and her experience of working with this photographer that didn't have a system did didn't project, didn't have a system, um, didn't get down to a manageable size, and and then was afraid to even ask for the money. Like she would have spent three to five thousand dollars if the system had been set up right. So it was interesting to hear someone who knows and uses this this um, you know the system of how to have a great sale see why it works, why she went from, you know, $500 sales to 1500 to, to 3000 quickly by projecting and by, by being organized. So I love uh, what you're sharing about, about the steps and the importance of, of having that. What did you just say? The narrowing down and not just, here's a whole bunch of stuff. What do you want? Right. Right. Did that make any sense what I just said? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing that my whole, I think my whole photographic career is I spent most of it designing systems. I want to be able to create repeatable processes. The one thing that I found found with photographers is in most cases, most people are looking for a shortcut. Okay. If you take and if you read sales books, you know, they have all these various different psychological approaches and analyzing the customers and all that kind of stuff, you know, and I kind of decided, you know what, I'm probably not that smart. So I need to develop something that can be repeatable. And that if I have um, a salesperson in my studio, I can teach them that. If I go into location to work with somebody, I can teach them that. And so when you go through and that you have this process in place of this, you know, slideshow, edit, wall portraits, clothes, essential portraits, clothes, frou-frou products, clothes, you know, that you closed in segments. And so by doing that, what that does is that makes it so that we're not taking and we're not presenting a necessarily, the client's not going to be totally blown away at the number at the end because we've gone through that. Now, I don't speak a lot of numbers when I'm in that presentation, but I always have a price book right in front of the client. So for example, if I'm showing a 30 by 40 on the screen, I'm going to have that price book will be set in there and I'm going to tell the client, you can see over on the left-hand side, the canvas uh, print of this particular size is the fourth one down on the list. And then notice how that um, the the 30 by 40 was the fourth down on the list that I had larger sizes up above that. So they don't feel like they're buying the farm because we all know that people buying into the middle. So what that does is that has the price book in front of them. 
they're able to look at it and they can follow the line across and they can see the price and it's all there and so it's no surprises okay prices mm. always seem less if you're not verbalizing and all of a sudden once we start verbalizing the numbers then they tend to then they appear to be much larger than probably what they what they really are so this, mm. this closed process i'm very upfront i would always go through pricing and pre-session consultations with clients i never wanted to take and blindside a client because i put too much work into creating a session and preparing for it to have them to go oh i can't so you're this. planting seeds and you're giving it it's not you're not like here come in for a consultation let's book it and then well, later you're you're relying on the pictures in the sales system you're planting those seeds you're clarifying what kind of investment they might be looking at um do you have them bring in the the room views ahead of time or send them to you and and give them some ideas of like i think this size works on this do you do yeah. some of that? Yeah, I think that you can, the, the earlier you can get room views, it's better. It's going to give you an advantage uh, as, a, as a photographer um, that I, I haven't been now in the studio on a regular basis. I mean, I've had a, we owned a studio up until just this last June or last January and we uh, sold our building. My wife's been running the, the studio. I've been involved in all the other aspects of my businesses. Um, but Anyway, as far as on there, I think you can get them earlier, but one of the things, whenever a client would call the studio, they call you, text you, email, the first question you got to ask is, where are you planning to displaying a portrait in your home? Mm. And because what it does is that stimulates conversation. Uh. And that um, then what we can do is then from there, we can take and we can evolve with a client. We can say, well, tell you what I'd like to do is that I want to have you, um, I mean, I can check availability for you to see something, but I don't really want to take and set up a time for your session or, or have either one of us a commit to a session until, you know, we've had a chance to be able to meet and make sure everything feels right. And so what mm. I'd like to do is have you come in. We're going to um, go through the, we'll go through a consultation and be able to talk about where you plan on displaying portraits in your home. And then when we get there, I'm going to start, if I don't have the pictures, I'm going to start talking colors. Well, tell me a little bit about your home. Where were you thinking of putting this? Oh, your living room. Well, what the, is your living room? Is it contemporary? Is it traditional? Is it kind of an eclectic mix? What is it? And then what are the colors? So what's your primary color that you use in there? Well, beige, you know? Then well, what's your accent color? Well, I've got a beige. Well, I assume you have a <laughs> or what color is the sofa? What color are the accent pillows? These type of mm -hmm. things are all questions that I could take to evolve to be able to start creating a color palette to be able to take to talk it through the clients in terms of colors to be able to take and evolve that portrait mm -hmm. so it's it, it's you know and the seed begins with that where do you plan on displaying a portrait in your home ah got it yes. and if they say uh on the mantle in an eight by ten frame i imagine you have some great uh follow-ups on that that aren't just like oh okay like absolutely what's a, re what's a response to that absolutely the, the mantle of the piano is a beautiful play place to you know display a, a gift size print but i also think it's important that we take and that when we create this portrait we're going to go through it's going to be a lot of work and not only my part but also you're going to be working far harder in this process getting everything together the people the clothing and so what we really want to do is want to make sure that even though that's you're just thinking a small portrait there that it fits your space 
I love and so it. I can't tell you the amount of times that people came in with the intention of purchasing a wall portrait and they ultimately ended up with a 30 by 40 because, because we created for their space, we created with them. I, right. I never felt bad about clients going out and buying all new clothes and getting grandma to go out and buy new clothes for everybody in the family. You know, so people say, right. oh, I don't want them spending that money. It's like, oh, I want them to go out and spend a ton on that because now mm-hmm. they're part of the process and they're involved in it. Right, right. So you've, um, I've had a recent ponderance about if somebody is ready to book on the phone, is there a reason I might not want to steer them that way and give them more pricing and details? So what is your thought about that? If somebody, like I, I have somebody that I'm support, um, that I'm mentoring where she gets good steady bookings and decent sales on the phone. But I, to me, my process is always to get together first. And I love what you just said, make sure it's a fit. Um, Anyway, so I'm going to ask the question and then shut up. What are your thoughts about pre-booking if they're ready? Well, what we can do is uh, the way that I would approach it is uh, I would I would say that what we can do is we can go ahead and let's put a tentative time on the date for a session. But really what's important is that we need to get together so we can talk. And okay. so, uh, you know, that we can do this. Um, I prefer you come into the studio so you can take and it'll give you a better opportunity to be able to see our work, be able to see the, um, the, the finishes and the different products that are available. But if you can't do that, we can, we can make this work. We can do it as a Zoom meeting and be able to communicate that way. But that, uh, that the process of us talking through this and doing some pre-planning is just a real critical part of the creative process. And so I need that to be able to really create something spectacular for you and your family. Perfect. So you might pencil in tentative. Would you take a payment or just say, sure, let's tentatively set up here, but let's get together first to make sure it's a fit and go over details and pricing and get some ideas and clothing. Like what's your suggestion? You can get me me off on a tangent on this one. Yeah. Well, yeah, this has just been a hot question in my mind. So I really appreciate you, your tangent. (laughs) Well, what I think that, I think that what's happened with photographers anymore is I think that they have, and it comes down to things from their confident levels to, um, you know, I mean, I think clients are a part of this, but you know what, the thing is, is that, I mean, I would always take, and I would always secure payment at the, at the consultation, because again, I, okay. I want it to be, I want it to be right. Um, I, I sit there and I see these photographers doing these extensive session contracts and I am just blown away. I am just blown mm-hmm. away at that that you know and then they're taking and they're wanting to go after people you know for all this stuff and i'm like seriously we're in a customer service business we want to be able to create you know that that if, mm-hmm. they, and if you go through the process the client and treat them right 
you can do this and get them into a comfort level. I mean, I guess contracts are, you know, contracts are important in business, but, you know, you still have to be realistic about everything. I want to be able to take, and, you know, I mean, whenever I did weddings over the years on the ones that once I got out of my NEBS contract, you know, those pre-printed contracts, (laughs) you know what that is. You and I are the only ones out here, Lucy, that remember those. I I use that too, yes. But, But the thing is, is that, um, you know, I would just do a letter of engagement, you know, that I would send the client a letter that would be outlining everything. And that that's the way that I always work. And so I don't want to take and I would much rather take and, you know, not have a client give me money than pay me money and then come in the consultation and then have to give it back. Give it back. And God. I was probably much more capitalized than what most of the photographers that are out there now that all of a sudden... If you got, if you're a small operation, you know that if you have to take a hundred, two hundred, two hundred fifty dollars, everybody's everybody's always robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know that you're paying mm-hmm. that, that session fee that you collect is the one that's paying your lab bill and that order that's coming in because you already spent the money for the for the picture. So the thing is, it makes it hard to be able to give it back. And and I just found that over the years that you have to know when to cut a client loose. Mm-hmm. I tell people, I there's people that I've done in sessions, you know, that, hey, I don't think this is the right fit, you know, but I think maybe you'd be comfortable for it. And I'll make a recommendation with somebody I don't like to send them to, now, you know, <laughs> you know or, or somebody that's that, you know, and I've learned that with ProSelect, you know, and, yes. you know, there's, yeah. there's people out there that are just not worth the trouble. It's like, you know what? Yeah. Is it the right fit? Let me just give you your money and you go your own way and yes. somebody else can serve you better. Yeah, but we'd rather, so I love, that's a great point because part of why I want to have a consultation before I book it is to make sure I want to work with them. Um, You know, if they're all in on the phone and, you know, sounds like they've got the money and blah, 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 but then I meet in person and I just get a bad, bad feeling. I find a way to like tiptoe backwards, uh, not physically, and be like, well, that's great. So why don't you go home and think about it? And, you know, <laughs> and it's hard to do that if you've already taken the money. So, and I think that's one of the big shifts that um, when people realize that they are interviewing a client to see if they are who they want to work with. And it's not just about trying to sell the client on working with them that it's a two-way street. I think that's when people's income increases, the people that they work with are more fun. They have more confidence because it's people that know, like, and trust them. So yeah, good stuff. I, well, I want to segue into workflow, but I want to see if there's- Hang on a second. Just one thing I want to say is when you're working with a client, that if the client starts tossing out a lots of buts or what ifs, Okay, that's probably a red flag. Right. Okay, it's like, well, but what if I do this? Can I get this? What if, you know, on this, on digital files, you know, or that they start tossing out all these different scenarios that are outside of your standard policies. And, and policies are something that are essential that you need to have and they need to be written down. So, and the, the one thing that's important whenever you take and that you get into, I don't know if adversarial is the right word with a client, 
But the thing is, is that whenever I'm explaining a process to a client is, you know, or the, or the reason why they say, well, why can't you just do this? And so the reason I can't do this is because every year I sit down with my accountant and I sit down with my business consultant and my lawyer. And what we do is together, we all establish the policies that are going to make this business successful. And it's important for me to have my business successful because my family depends on me providing a livelihood. And so in order for me to do that and so that my family can enjoy the same type of things that you enjoy and I can write those checks to Michigan State University and, and everything that's also involved, I have to trust their judgment and adhere to these policies in my business. So what I'm doing there is I'm deflecting this all to outside professionals so that it doesn't become me. It becomes that the business kind of becomes an entity outside people. And I've related it to an emotional aspect that they can understand because I said terms like, just like you, the things that you want to enjoy your family, my family deserves that too. Sorry, I know I kind of go off on different things. No, I love it. I love it. L accountant, lawyer, and what was the third Business one? consultant, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, this um, yesterday uh, in a coaching call, we had that exact scenario and she was trying to respond because last year you did it this way and I don't like it and I wanted you to know and and I was trying to come up with like, we don't want to make excuses, but we want to say, these are the business practices that this year I realize is best for my business. But I love what you're saying is deflecting it to my accountant, my lawyer, my business consultant have analyzed my business. And this is how these are how my policies, my pricing to support my family, just like you. I love that. I love that. I'm going to listen to that again a couple of times um, to just get that, you know, th those words, those thoughts really clear and the deflecting. So it's not because I, you know, no one cares like, oh, prices are up and this is um, like, do you know what I'm saying? Is exactly. When you say it as like, oh, this is what I need is different than these are what my advisors say is the best for my business so that I can have the life that that I want to lead, basically. I don't know. I love it. I'm kind of babbling, but uh, brilliant. I, think I love it. As we, as we go through this with a customer that we need to be able to take that, you know, the big thing is when you're transitioning into IPS, that that you have a past clientele and you have to decide, okay, can I take and I can I move these people or do I have to just plain let them go? And so when you do get the questions is, well, what about things? What about last time? And you can just look at them and say, you know, you can say, look at how much different the world is this year from what it was mm. just a year ago. You know, technologies have changed. You know, people don't go to work anymore. I mean, we deal with things across uh, Zoom meetings. Everything evolves. And so I have to reevaluate my business. And again, I do this with my professionals. And quite honestly, what happened is when I really started looking and got serious about business, I found that I had an unsustainable business model. You know, that I couldn't I couldn't be successful in business doing what I was doing. I understand it was great for you, but the problem is I couldn't provide for my family that. And I'm sure you understand how that puts pressure on me. And so I have to be able to be successful. So not only can I do your 
kindergarten pictures, but I can do your senior portraits and your daughter's wedding down the road. Right, right. And their grandchildren. Absolutely. Well, I love that um, because so many people I see that are transitioning from shoot and share um, or what I call post and pray, which is (laughs) you post it online, cross your fingers, hope they they buy anything. Um, Sprayed and prayed. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, is they have clients that they've loved and it's so hard for them to say, well, I'm no longer doing this business model. So I love what you're saying that with, with people where you can in a, in a warm way, say to them, you know, yes, I was a great deal for you over the years that you've worked with me, but I realized it wasn't sustainable. And I, besides that, I want to give more service and blah, blah, blah. You know, in order to be around for decades, I've needed to make this change. I love that. That, What surfaces through all this is that you have to be real and you have to be honest with your clients. You have to be able to sit there and say, Hey, I was successful. And that's a lot of humble pie to be able to eat. Yeah. Okay. But if you do it, the client will take, because you're saying that you're saying that from the heart, you know, it's like, I mean, I think even just, you know, if I sit here, you know, it almost chokes me up to sit here and say, think about, you know, the times when I was not successful in business and how it becomes, you know, to be able to take and engage with a client on that level and build a real relationship and that mm-hmm. relationship is going to help capture everything in these portraits because we're all creatives and, you know, most are not business people and it becomes, you know, it's a challenge. So, so be upfront, mm-hmm. be honest, be real. That's going to go a that. lot more, a lot further than any contract. Yeah. Ever going to go. And being real and being real is different than um, like excuses that there's a different energy about, well, I have to do this because prices have gone up, and then, but, but that deep honesty that you just shared that, you know, I was, I was not reaching my goals. I was not being successful. I was working myself to death for very little money. And so, uh, yeah, thank you for that, Ron. Just, that is huge. Justification huge. is analytical. Honesty is emotional. Ooh, Quotable quote. <laughs> oh, so I want to move on. I know you're also the king of workflow. So what do you mean by workflow? Um, and yeah, what? let's talk about that. Well, workflow is one of these things that, that, I, that I've studied and been involved with my whole career is, you know, when it's, when it's been through IPS, I've been through every iteration of, of IPS possible, whether it was, I, I, I'm kind of going back here a little bit, but you think about that people are now talking about, oh, I'm doing IPS and I'm doing proofs. Okay, well, I knew in, when I worked in a studio in 1979, we did proofs and they got you by, but they didn't excel in your sale. So I've been through proofs and I've been through proofs in an astroscope. Then we've done slides and we've done and, um, the inoscopes. We've done the photo vixes, you know, and then we've yeah. done all yeah. these whole parts. Okay, so, so they've all evolved throughout the years. Yes. And through all of these processes, I've had to take and deal with different workflows. 
And so what we have to do is we take and we have to, we have to create, again, a systematic approach. And I've used that term before, is I need to be able to take and create a repeatable process that can happen very easily within the studio. And I've done this because I've been hired as a consultant many, many times all over the country um, to work with people. And the, the biggest, what happens is that if people do not have a repeatable process in place, as soon as they lose an employee, they are just, they feel like they're hosed. They feel like mm. they're hosed. And so we need to be able to create a process that's simple. A lot of speakers and, and I think even, you know, some consultants out there, they like to share how smart they are. Um, I don't, you know, my whole thing is it's not, you know, I don't believe it's how smart I am. My whole thing is, is I'm going to take and I'm going to dumb down your process so simple that anybody can do it. And that's ultimately my goal. That's why I want, mm. when I get in the sales room, I want that systematic process so that every time you go in there, if you, if you do that process and do nothing else from what this conversation today or that same process I outlined in that IUSA video I did, you know, it will take and you will, it will mean thousands of dollars. You just mm -hmm. do exactly what it is. Then the same way on the workflow and where, where photographers fail to think is that they they don't think that a workflow that workflow is something that's going to save them money right <laughs> but it is now so, so ron i want to interrupt you for one sec okay um are we talking about workflow like my former husband was a production control specialist for um solar turbines and when he explained what he did i realized I'm a production control specialist as well, because I have to have a system where I find the client, take the pictures, do the sale. And then I have to have a workflow where I follow through all the steps until I can do the sale and then edit and order and deliver and all of that. So are, when you say workflow, are you talking about all of the studio management or are you talking about the sales workflow no no i'm talking about the whole studio process i'm talking about got it okay. there needs there needs to be a situation from as soon as you take and your phone flips that um, little door in the back of your camera and you pull out that sd card okay from that point on there has to be a process and got so it. what happens is that when that card goes and it hits the computer we have to know exactly where those files are going to go how they're going to get renamed. And when those files are going in there, they're going into a static location, but there's going to be an automatic process that's going to take, that's going to take and write another set of those files, an archive set of files to another drive. So that if when you do something stupid, which we've all done, okay, <laughs> yes. you're going to take and you've got another set of backup files. Okay, this is going to be a process that's going to happen all automatically that you're going to go from there. Then from there, we're going to work through everything in terms of preparing the prosite presentation. Then when the process, once the customer job is sold, from there, what we do is that we're going to take and then we, we have to be able to take and be able to, to find the images, you know, to be able to take and retouch. Okay, so now we've got, so we've got an order out there and uh, you got an order, you've got 30 images that you need to take and you need to work on. I mean, people are sitting there and they're going through their, they're opening up their files. First of all, they're trying to find where their folder is for this job folder because they can't remember where they put it. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to take, now they're going to go through and they're going to start looking at the sheet and trying to look at numbers and trying to find all these folders. And they're going to take and they're going to move them over into 
another folder that's going to say to be worked on or something like this. Well, now we've got two copies of these files out there. So now once, as soon as we move those files, we've now lost links to our original files. Out there. We need to be able to take and have the process so that we can take that, you know, when I take it, if I'm going to take and if I'm using ProSelect, for example, I can take, I have my order, my clients have placed the order in there. I want to take, I want to outsource your retoucher. All I have to do is go and go to production, produce production package. It'll gather up all the files, to compile all the notes into a readme file, put it in together, write it to a folder that I can outsource to a retoucher, you know? Literally mm -hmm. takes me 15 seconds to do that where people are spending all kinds of time trying to go through and do this. They get the files back from there. They drop those files back into ProSelect and they tell it to replace the existing files that were on the system. They go back into the same original source folder and you click run production. It goes through, does all the cropping, makes all the final files, writes the quantity of each image into the file name. And all you have to do is you go to whatever lab you want and you open up rows and you upload your files. I mean, people are spending hours and hours doing all of this stuff. They do all this manual process. They're, they're image images in and out, of, in and out of Lightroom, in and out of ACR. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just their, you know, their color management is not right. There's also enough video out there in PBA's education system on color management too. I did or on calibrating your monitor and why it's mm -hmm. important. Uh, but the the workflow is the is the step-by-step -step process to be able to get through there and what happens is that with i've been involved with pro select um for probably since about 2005 2004 so mm -hmm. that's what 16 17 years that um i've been involved with with pro select and you know, and ProSelect was created by engineers. It was not by one of the engineers' wife was a photographer, but um, not mm -hmm. to the league that, that I play with. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so they designed it. So, you know, over the years, I've been able to take and guide the whole process and be able to take and, you know, that I can go into a studio and I go into a studio that's got, you know, seven photographers and a dozen workstations and, you know, all this type of stuff and be able to extract what they've got. Then I work with somebody else, you know, who's sitting in their home office. Then I work with, a, you know, a studio out in Las Vegas that owns 14 locations. And you can take, and with this knowledge, you've been able to take and build in all these different systems and processes that you can take that, that are all integrated back into ProSelect, believe it or not, mm. to be able to mm. take and to be able to handle all of these situations. And, nice. you know, and that's been... And what happens is ProSelect can become the center hub. You know, people people take, and I'm not trying to turn this into a ProSelect commercial, but what happens is that people take when they go out there, if you ever look out on the forums when people are out there looking for something, they say, what do you suggest? I'm looking for something like ProSelect, okay? <laughs> and, that, and what that is, is that is code for, I don't want to spend the money on ProSelect, okay? Right. Because they think it's just a room view thing. And, and that is not the case. And that is not the case at all. Right. And right. so anyway, so we've, um, so in ProSelect, we've had we've done the development on uh, these things. We've got, you know, I've created, I had to, had to, to have the Ron Nichols um, Studio Retouching Palette, which is a product that I originally released the first version back in 2005. And then we released again in 2009. And I still have people that are using that 2009 version out there because it's a mm. systematic approach to a portrait retouching in, using Photoshop. 
And yeah. we're, we're in the process of we're redeveloping um, that whole product now. I created a whole nother product as a backup and import utility for offloading your camera card. So it'll send everything in the right way, gets everything in the same place. But mm-hmm. People are just these, I look at these setups on people and it just makes my head spin and go, how did you think of making this so complex when we can do one thing? If we take, if we retouch a file, you open up a file, you retouch it, you don't even have to crop it, okay? Just retouch the file and then you open up the raw file, you save it as a TIFF file and you put it right back in the original directory right next to where the JPEG is, okay? Mm -hmm. And when I look at a file that's got a TIFF file, that's got a TIFF extension on it, I know that that file is completely retouched, okay? Mm. Flatten TIFF file. If I see one with an extension in there, that has got a PSD file, that's going to be probably either an intermediary file or it's going to be a file that's got layers on there. If I've got my JPEG file, that's my original um, image that was used strictly just mm-hmm. for viewing only. So everything is all in that same place that I can take. That if I open uh, a JPEG file, I can click something. I can open up a raw file immediately from that. If I process in Lightroom, if I set up my Lightroom correctly, I can take and pass off the XMP data to be able to travel with that file. So when I go from ProSelect, I can open up an Adobe Camera Raw. It gives me all my Lightroom processing data. I'm back up to a first generation file, retouch it, save it, tell ProSelect to update, everything is linked. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, <laughs> that's what work, yeah. that's what workflow is. And it's, yes. it's, it's yeah. very comprehensive. And, right. Well, and I, I'm imagining um, the overall concept of, having a system that works that's simple and repeatable. Like one of the reasons I don't enjoy Lightroom is the import, export, import, export. I could never quite figure out well, where are my, th- where are my things? So I'm more of a bridge Adobe camera raw fan because I have my files and a hard drive that I'm working with and I can just open it up and it is automatically I don't have to export anything. So um, am I right in whether you use ProSelect or something else that you're a big advocate of having a system and having it be repeatable and simple? Well, it is. That's what it comes down to. It all has to. It all has to be a system. You know, for example, on your on your Lightroom, for example, I I like using Lightroom on the front end in terms of prepping the files prior to the presentation, but I prefer mm-hmm. using ACR on the back end. Okay. And you have to set everything ah, up so that they communicate. Okay. Because I can do a much more seamless thing with Adobe Camera Raw. It's the exact same interface as Lightroom. All the dials and everything are all exactly the same. They just, it's just mm-hmm. a different, it's just a different look to the screen. To it. Right. But all my Lightroom data has passed right from there. And so I can go right from you know, ACR, then I click it open. I'm in Photoshop, retouch, save as TIFF. Yeah. And I'm done. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So we're um, just about out of time. So I have two questions for you. Uh, one is if people want to, if they have questions or want to get in touch, what is the easiest way to contact you? <laughs> oh, is that a loaded question? <laughs> um, the best thing to do is to be able to on um, questions and guidance is one if we've got the ProSelect um, 
user group on Facebook. Join that group and put the questions out there. Um, uh, the, you know, again, that's for pro select type questions. You're going to see some things more evolving um, with uh, because pro select was always owned by time exposure. Okay, mm -hmm. time exposure is no longer time exposure does not exist anymore, even though the domain is still out there, but it's going to be slowly going away. ProSelect is now Pro Studio software that where they say you like the product so much, you buy the company. And that's exactly uh -huh. what um, <laughs> I did along with Graham, um, who's my partner and he's our lead programmer and the guy who makes me look kind of stupid sometimes. Um, but um, so I, I have, I'll have that link in the show notes, the facebook.com slash groups slash ProSelect, Lucy, ProSelect you to you, that will be in show notes. Right. Um, and then, so emails or, you know, what, the, with questions about this or, sorry. I don't, really, sounds like you're, the problem is, is that I don't get into anybody that takes and, um, for the most part that contacts me with stuff, I always want to try and move them out into the public forum or back into ProSelect support system. Okay. Because uh, I, mean, nice. I was spend honestly, I spent my whole life trying to answer emails and I can the ones the ones that I've got. I mean, I do I in the past I've always done uh, private consulting. That's at um proselecttraining.com. Um, right now, I'm not doing too much training because now that I own the company, I've got lots of other obligations. My wife is also a trainer, Carol. I've got another Maureen, another gal that does training okay. for us. You know, that they uh, work with people. Right. You know, obviously you do things. Um, so it sounds like the best place is that, that group to, um, if they have questions, thoughts, comments, uh, need support for anything related to what we've talked about today. Um that there's a lot in the group. Oh, it's, it's, it's a wealth of knowledge in it. And the thing is, is that it helps when you, when you ask out there in that type of form, you're not only getting my knowledge, but you're going to get some other people. And if, if you have some other people that I think are wrong, I'm going to tell you the hell that, you know, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, to kind, yeah. of, kind of straighten things out, but what, what happens out there in the world today with, all of the stuff that you really have to learn to be able to filter your information. There's so much mm -hmm. bad information out there. Uh, you know, people are, you know, I see all these people I open up, you know, I was looking at somebody the other day, they were doing everything in 16 bit files. Why in the world do you need to run everything in 16 bit files? You know, I've done 20 16 bit files, you know, in my whole career, you know, but yet somebody said, do 16 bit files and work in pro photo RGB, you know, well, <laughs> It's crazy. You can't print through mm -hmm. it. You can't do it. It takes up double your drive space. You know, don't mm -hmm. work in, you know, you have the labs are like, oh yeah, we take, you know, Adobe 98 for your workspace. It's a wider workspace. Well, guess what? You can't print to it. So why do I want them? They're just going to convert it to sRGB when it goes on the back end. Mm -hmm. You know, these are all kind of workflow type things. You have to kind of take and, and filter it. And, Got it. Look for somebody that does something stupid simple and simple. <laughs> okay. That's me. Keep it instead of keep it simple, stupid. It's keep it stupid simple. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so my last question, Ron, and thank you so much for all this good, doable, and internally understandable um, 
thoughts, ideas, goodies, <laughs> looking for the right word. Anyway, so uh, is there either some last thing that you want to make sure that you share that you haven't yet or uh, just sort of what you want to leave us with? So it's like your last word for today, well, <laughs> not forever. I think it's important to let everybody know that even though I said I don't want your emails, that I and we do listen. Um, you know, that we're, we're constantly out there, um, you know, filtering information and seeing photographers. You know, I work with, you know, and I'm good friends with the top photographers in the world. And so I've got a, I have a huge resource to be able to gather information from. And that what we're really looking at doing with ProSelect right now is a fantastic program. It's the only IPS software out there that was actually designed to do IPS. Everything else was something that started as something else. And they kind of moved into IPS because it was cool. It was a hot thing. Mm -hmm. This is what we're doing. We're constantly developing. And right now we're in the process that we're sketching out what is going to be the next generation of ProSelect. Graham and I are... Graham and I are going to be taking the company to whole new levels. We're expanding the product line with different products that are going to be out there. And they're all going to be towards and dedicated towards IPS or workflow type products. And so. Uh, so, so what you're leaving us with the, uh, what I'm hearing is it's important to communicate if you have some ideas or some needs, because it can impact the future of of your program absolutely absolutely yeah. you know there was we maintain we have um trello boards we use all kinds of trello boards and we have you know we have a pro what we call a pro wish list and so you know just today there was somebody in support that you know was looking at you know something and you know can we can we do this and i'm like well, we can't now but it's a good idea you know and so yeah. i put, yeah, yeah. so i put it on the wish list you know and these uh, okay. are all different things that we take that we consider, you know, for future development. Great, great. Yeah, I um, got to sit with the developer owner of Nick Filters uh -huh. when before they sold. And I gave him some ideas, uh, like doing uh, sets and things where you can layer um, filters before you have to shut down. And the next iteration, they had that. And I'm so proud of myself for sharing that idea. So it's great to know that you're also, I mean, it is always evolving, I've noticed. So, well, Ron, thank you so, so much for being on the show. I know uh, we have so far 70 countries and 56,000 downloads of The Profitable Photographer. And I know every single one of my listeners has gotten so much out of this conversation. I really, really, really appreciate you, Ron. Well, thanks so much. It's great to be here. It's always, you can see I have no problem talking. <laughs> Same here. And stay tuned for my wrap up. Um, you know, my little summary as people are listening. Um, and so again, Ron, it's just been a really pleasure getting to have this just me time with you and then getting to share it. So uh, yeah, thanks a bunch. Thanks so much, Lucy. Oh my gosh, I just love that conversation. And Ron is such a great teacher. And after uh, we stopped the podcast, 
he so loves to help people that he walked me through a few questions and a few ideas that I had to suggest for what I would love to see. So don't hesitate to, to um, get into his Facebook group and communicate your ideas and ask questions because he's, he's a teacher at heart. So let's see, just a little quickie. He talked about how he's been doing in-person sales pretty much from the start. And he, in this conversation, we talk about his process of how he goes from emotional, then to logical, then to emotional to do his sales. And I ask him about whether he recommends or thinks it's a, a good idea to try to book a session before we meet for consultation. And he and I share the opinion on that, that you're going to want to re-listen to, which is basically that we want to prepare them, get them excited, but then also make sure we're a good fit and that they get all of the information before they say yes, for many reasons. And we talk about that. And then I absolutely loved how he words the question if people are not happy with our pricing, or if you've changed your pricing or business models, what to say to clients. And I love that he likes to include his lawyer, his business advisor, and his accountant as the people who make sure that he is running his business profitably and having time for a life and family and able to just like our clients have a successful, wonderful life. Uh, so that was awesome. And then we went into workflow and the importance of having a system that's simple, the importance of file management, easy retouching and ordering process, getting it off to our labs. And he explains a little about how ProSelect makes that happen. So I'm super grateful again for this conversation with Ron and feel free to reach out to him or reach out to me with any questions. All right, that's it for now. Sending y'all a great big hug. Bye. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.